This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of the program. Appreciate you and your time wherever you are listening in around the world. Always wonderful to have you as we work our way through a Thursday program and a lot of things ahead on the show. Oh, boy, we've got quite a diversity on the program, but I think there's some good little themes here. If we look at some of the information coming our way, the research and um, anyway. I think you'll get the picture as the the program unfolds, ladies and gentlemen. Ramia Muthan, she's at her home studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio in London, Ontario. And we're going to go a little ways out today, over to the UK. And Fern Lullum joins us. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, information. This is a survey that we are going to be following here of online access information provided by UK museums and cultural heritage sites. Fern, welcome back. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. And the survey you mentioned is called Heritage Access 2022, and it involved reviewing over 3,000 museums and heritage websites um, to access the quality of, of, of uh, sorry, to assess the quality of accessibility um, and the information that's provided for disabled people um, so that they can see what it's like from their point of view. You know, it's interesting, for too, the, a few days ago, somebody and I were having a conversation here on the program about legitimacy of so many surveys. We get asked stuff sent to us all the time. Hey, will you participate? Will you fill this out? And I think for me, I, I look at some of the questions and say, okay, they're taking this one reasonably serious. Obviously, obviously, there's no way to know. People can get gathering information and put it in their back pocket and do nothing with it. But it's an interesting gauge when you find the questions and you say, yeah, that is something I would want to know. That's not something who, from, written by somebody who knows a blind person who thinks I'd want to know that. So we're yeah. talking here about a major piece of work by the sounds of it. Uh, how big was this? Yeah, just like myself, a major piece of work, Kelly. You got that right, right on the head there. Um, it, Left the door open. <laughs> I thought I'd say it before you did. Um, it, and it certainly was a major piece of work, indeed. Um, it was funded by our National Lottery Heritage Fund, and it was undertaken by the charity Vocalize and partner organisations. And it involved 61 volunteer digital researchers, many of whom have lived experience of access barriers themselves. So, like you said, it was from people who know what they're talking about. Right. Yep. Yep. And we've talked about Vocalize before on the show, too. So that's great. Familiar names. You could say that the survey was about the first part of a disabled person's journey in deciding to go to a, a museum or a heritage site, right? Exactly, Ramya. And it's, it is very important, um, a part of their journey, because some research does suggest that 92% of disabled people search for access information before visiting. And if it's not available, they simply just cancel their visit and don't go. Yeah, and that suits no one because it means disappointment for disabled people and less visitors for the venue. Yeah, exactly. And it can have a really big impact on disabled people. I think it can add to feelings of isolation and exclusion. I know I felt that before when a website just isn't accessible to me. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, that leads to damage to your mental health, self-esteem, all of the rest of it. It's just all a downhill spiral from there, Mm -hmm. really. 
Yeah, it's definitely a ripple effect when you feel like you're not involved or uh, noted for one part of life, then it makes a significant impact on how you feel in your identity in the rest of society. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about the findings from the report. Well, it found that 81% of museum and heritage websites include at least some access information, and this is unchanged from a similar survey done in 2018. So purely on that measure, no recent progress has been made. No, and of course it means that nearly one in five websites still contain no access information at all. Yeah. Okay. That is quite disappointing. Is that the tone of the whole report, though? Mm. I hope not. No, no. So it's important to say that overall the report notes that progress is being made. For example, websites that are providing information are providing more than they were in 2018. Um, And there is also evidence of significant increases in the range of people assisted by that information. So trying to cater to more different disabilities. And that's really good. That's nice to hear because otherwise you're left feeling like, well, nobody cares or none of us are asking for that information. So nobody thinks, well, the last thing that blind people need, they're not coming out here or they're not interested. They have a friend who goes on the site and looks for them or, or makes a call or maybe they just call maybe us they- up. Um, does the report give some uh, advice based on its findings so far? Yeah, and that's one of the great things about it, really. For example, it does recommend that where possible, text on a website is supplemented by audio, video and images. And this really helps to ensure that people with a range of disabilities can access the information however they need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we know as screen reader users um, that screen readers can definitely help blind people with that. Yeah, that's true. Um, But the report does make the point that bespoke audio from a human voice will often make disabled people feel more included and welcomed by the the venue rather than if they just say, oh, well, you've got a screen reader for that. Sure, because going that extra mile can make a huge difference. But no matter how accessible a website is, sometimes we need to contact the venue for whatever information we're looking for. A lot of time I find, you know, you might want to know the time. How long is is a play or something because you've got transportation arrangements to make. Does the report cover that? Yes. And once again, the report recommends a range of options. For example, deaf people might prefer email, whereas blind people might prefer phone. So it's saying don't just give one select option, give all of them and then they can choose. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And how about the online chat option that a lot of people you'd utilize? Yeah, that's getting more and more popular, isn't it? And um, that is also mentioned in the report. Um, Although it seems that it is rarely offered at the moment, it is important to say that although the option um, of direct access is encouraged, so have a chat line, you know, have have an instant chat on your website, the report is clear that it should never be offered instead of information on the website. So there also needs to be that information as well. Right, 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 of course. Is there any indication that things are improving when it comes to contact, you know, when you think of those kind of details that we need? Yes, 56% of sites with access information now provide contact details compared to just 39% back in 2018. Amazing, because sometimes you just need to get to the bottom of things, you know? Um, Like, why are they taking all my money out? Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, (laughs) what about information related to the venue itself? Because 
often people with disabilities to like uh, to have that information, a feel for the venue before visiting. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that can be very important. And, and the report recommends that a large print, high contrast version of the venue's floor, floor plan on the website should be provided so that people know where they are when, you know, when they're coming. Um, and sure. also photos or videos of potential barriers such as steep slopes or narrow doorways or anything like that, just so that people can be aware and they can know what to kind of what to expect when they get there. And it's amazing how much of this information serves all customers. That's that's what gets me. Instead of being just thought of as special for a person in a wheelchair, a person who's blind or whatever, it serves everyone. Um, getting that kind of information before the visit can be extremely helpful because, unfortunately, you know, you hope that it's going to prevent any nasty surprises once you're there. <laughs> and yeah. of course, you yeah, want absolutely. them. To, you you want to feel good about it, and them to feel good about it. Exactly. And that feeling of being included and, you know, it, it can be achieved so easily and in so many ways. Um, for example, the report recommends that any photos or videos on the website include people with, you know, visible disabilities so that people mm-hmm. feel represented. And this can send a really clear message about the venue's attitude towards inclusion because it's saying, hey, here are some people that have already come who have disabilities who are just like you. You can come too. Yeah. Yeah. But even better evidence, or I'd say it, it, it helps push this message home, is the attitude of staff when you're at the venue, right? Them being trained and understanding and empathizing with disability and inclusion. Exactly. And this is something that we've talked about before. Um, and it, this is reflected by the recommendation that websites advertise what disability awareness training their front of house staff actually have had. I always find it fascinating when you feel like somebody's using the clock in a way of directions or something. Ah, they've had the sensitivity training. So <laughs> have there been a lot of indications that staff have generally had this kind of training? of sites with access information mentioned staff had attended one or more disability awareness courses. Um, this compares to just 10% of 2018. So, we, we, you know, we've got a way to go, but we are getting yeah. there. Yeah. Well, it is encouraging, like you're saying, because the numbers are improving, but it still suggests a ton more to do on training and awareness. Yes. And this is very topical in the UK at the moment. I saw a story the other day uh, about a guide dog refusal once again. Um, it's in the news. A recent story involves a guide dog owner being thrown out of a hotel late at night because staff simply didn't believe that her guide dog was a real guide dog. They thought mm. it was a fake. Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. I just, I always say it's 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 amazing to me how our societies always choose to think someone's trying to get away with something. Always the first thought, yep. not the this is a legitimate dog. Look, or trying to be yep. sure, even if you're dead, what harm if you take the person at at face value, even if you're a little unsure because the the behavior or whatever that makes you even think such a thing is different, which still shows tons of ignorance, right? Tons. Like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and yeah. always and, looking and, you know, for the worst. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very sad. It's well, I'd say it's better to risk having somebody that doesn't need one than actually throwing out somebody who is legitimate and is blind and is late at night and doesn't have anyone to look after them. You yeah, know? and is going to go straight to the media because we need to hear about it. Like exactly. honestly, 
Well, yeah. it just kills me that you're more worried mm-hmm. about the faker. So the faker gets away with something. <gasps> Who's wrong here? Uh, the faker? Yeah. You know, yeah. or would you rather throw that person out who actually is legitimate? So that really does suggest more disability awareness in many walks of life. Yes, I, I think it does. Um, but hopefully the Heritage Access Report will help raise awareness among museums and heritage sites. And apart from the main report benchmarking reports, which uh, ranks the results of each site against one another, um, that's been produced. And so that's relative performance can be assessed. So you can look at the the comparison and you can really see who's who's doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Fern, you mentioned like, uh, you know, how discouraging it can be when you don't feel included in these circumstances, right? And especially when it comes to art and culture, museums, uh, galleries, etc. But have you ever consulted on something like this? Do you find that there are more people looking for uh, disability consultants and at least trying to make the spaces and the art more accessible? I think there are certainly people out there who are, um, and I am part of a, a, a sort of a, an organization that reaches out for um, consultancy for exactly that. But I mm-hmm. do feel like we've said, you know, there is definitely more that needs to be done because a lot of the time, I mean, I know I always bang on about this, but the practical access things sometimes are thought about, but not often enough, clearly, as this report shows. But it's the emotional side. You know, how does that yeah. leave you feeling? Because ultimately, when you go home, even if you're, you know, you're not going to fall over something or whatever, you're still feeling less than or your self-esteem's been knocked or you're feeling not included, which is horrible. And you've got to it live is. with that. And that's why it's really important that this information is being spread, the awareness. How can we find out more? So um, you can just go to vocalize.co.uk and click on the research tab at the top of the page there. And that will take you to a page that includes the report. So as we've been talking about, how accessible is the report? Well, it is very accessible indeed. I'm glad you asked that, uh, Kelly. It's available in a range of formats, including in audio. And in fact, if you listen to the audio version, you may just hear a British voice that's rather familiar to you. It's not, uh, there's no prizes for guessing who that might be, right? Because she might be joining us right now. Yeah, I, I think you might be on the right track there, Ramya. Um, but if you do need a clue, she does sound an awful look like the host of Into You. You know that amazing podcast about dating and relationships? Right. Uh, folks, they call that a plug, a plug, yeah. a plug, yeah. a plug. <laughs> yeah, you Fern. know, I just thought I'd get it in. That's awesome. <laughs> Fern Lola joins us every other Thursday for UK Disability Highlights. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, Bernie. You have a lovely show. Coming up next on the program, uh, Christian Shaw, founder of the Kamloops Self-Advocate Newsletter, joins us to tell us all about this newsletter, how it got started, and this is for people with any disabilities out there. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.